0: Get Inspired Travel Stories Podcast Amanda Kendall is a guest to whom I was really looking forward to talking. See, I try not to put the prepositions at the end, but it just sounds weird, right? Anyway, as well as living in three foreign countries during her 20s and experiencing slow travel, as we call it, there's one word that brings out her travel mentality, and that is thoughtful. That's not thoughtful as in buying flowers for someone on their birthday, although I'm sure she's thoughtful in that way too. It's the more cerebral aspect of travel, experiencing things on the road and using your thoughts to really look at it, really rationalize some things and relate to others. Amanda is the host of her own travel podcast. You guessed it, the Thoughtful Travel Podcast links to amanda's podcast and everywhere else to find it are in the show notes shout out to our writer nicole by the way check out the show notes at travelstoriespodcast.com she really does do an excellent job and here is the story from and uh interview with amanda kendall
1: Late last year, I was sent on a blogger's trip to Kansai. The Kansai region of Japan includes Osaka, uh, Kyoto, Nara, Sakai, a beautiful area of Japan, and I used to live there. I lived there for a couple of years, so I was really thrilled to be having the chance to go back there. So that was the really the good, the upside of this trip. But the downside was that I would be sent with a guide, that I would be accompanied all week by a guide. And I'm not the kind of person to go on tours or trips with people there, and I really like to do my own thing. And I was kind of reluctant to go on this trip with a guide, but it was my way to get back to my beloved Japan. So I agreed. So we arrived uh, at Kansai Airport near Osaka after I had traveled for about 17 hours straight to get there. And it was early in the morning and we were met by a group of six Japanese people. It was a little bit overwhelming, I didn't really realize there'd be so many there. And I didn't know for a while who my guide was actually going to be and then it turned out it was this, this lady who I found out later was 68 years old and her name was Mariko. We called her Mariko-san during our trip. So I thought, oh my goodness, this is, you know, unusual, this tiny little Japanese woman. She's, you know, nearly 70, and she's going to be my guide for the week. This will be interesting. If nothing else, this will be interesting. Uh, Mariko-san turned out to be amazing. So she had spent... 30-odd years guiding foreigners around Japan. And she obviously had a reputation for doing a great job of it because she was constantly getting offers to guide other groups of, of people visiting Japan. And she had amazing stories to tell, like um, the time when she discovered all of the Indian restaurants in Osaka because she hosted an Indian delegation who refused to eat any Japanese food and she had to find all of the different places that she could take them to have Indian food. So, Madagal had so many interesting stories to tell and she would always have these words of wisdom and uh, for some reason a couple of times during the week we'd be sitting around at night having dinner with her. The kind of dinner where you're a uh, hot pot dinner, you're all putting in your vegetables and meat and, uh, and eating it together. And every time we had the rencon vegetable kind of a usually sliced round vegetable and it had lots of holes in it and she would hold up a piece of rencon and she would say, I'm looking through this rencon to the future. And now during the week we were there, we had an earthquake about the third day. Now I come from a place where there are no earthquakes, so it completely freaked me out. We were sitting in a restaurant in Sakai and... (laughs) suddenly Mariko-san's phone started beeping really loudly. And she turned to us and to a couple of other Japanese people who were with us and said, Oh, earthquake. And then a few seconds after that, everything started shaking. The ground stopped moving. The Japanese people went back to their meal myself and the other Aussie blogger um, nervously discussed what was going on. Anyway, the week wore on, and Mariko told us more stories, and we ate more renkon. And then on the final day, just a few hours, in fact, before we were due to fly back to Australia, our final city stop was Kobe City. The last place we visited was the uh, Earthquake Memorial Museum in Kobe. Um, It's a memorial to the the awful earthquake that happened some time back, but it's also like an educational place where local people are meant to learn how to make it not such a disaster next time, to learn how to behave, um, what to prepare in case of an earthquake and all of those kinds of things. Without thinking too much about it, I just casually said to Mariko-san, oh, where were you when the earthquake happened? You know, were you near Kobe or, you know, what was happening? And she sort of took a deep breath and then calmly told us the story. When the earthquake hit, uh, her husband was on a business trip in Tokyo, and so she and her daughter were living in the top floor of this house. When the earthquake hit, the top floor went down to the bottom floor, and she was trapped under the rubble, so was her daughter. What's worse is that her parents lived in the bottom floor and they were killed by the earthquake, by the falling of the top floor down onto them as they slept. And (laughs) I I couldn't believe that she was just calmly telling us that her parents had been killed in that Kobe earthquake. But she went on to relatively calmly explain that um, the neighbours were a lot of strong men and they'd heard her and her daughter screaming and they managed to pull rubble off them and, and they were free and relatively unharmed. But, of course, her parents had passed away. Um And I didn't know what to say at all. And, you know, I'm sure she could tell that I had no idea what to say and I had accidentally opened this, you know, horrific can of worms. And she pretended to hold up this piece of Rencon. She said, that's why I always say you have to look through to the future because that's the only way to get through life. She was the most optimistic person and such a lovely, fun person. And to discover all of this about her just blew me away. I will never, ever see another piece of Japanese rinkon and not think of Mariko-san. It's Nicole here to give you a little shout out. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you're enjoying it, why don't you head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash If you help us out, we'll bring you some special bonus episodes. You can even participate in our hangout when we record the unpacking episodes together, which means you'll get to hear all of Hayden's flubs and outtakes live as they happen. Right now though, I've got to go, I've got company coming over. A time traveler visited me in 2002 and told me he'd be here soon. Thanks for listening, and now, back to the show. We're so lucky.
0: Love it here, <laughs> man. Every time I talk to an Australian, I just miss Australia. Every single time. Like, <laughs> sorry <laughs> about that. So bad. Yeah, <laughs> I miss <laughs> Europe cool. though, because
1: there's you know there's pros and cons of each place.
0: That is true. That is true. There's. I mean, we were talking about this. Me and the team actually were talking about this yesterday. Uh, I think I can't remember who it was that asked how do how do foreigners see United States, and so I told them and. They were disappointed. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh no, it's true that, and we eventually reached the point of, uh, every, every place has its pros and cons. You know, every place, this is great in that place, but maybe this isn't so, isn't so good. But then you'd find the opposite is true in, in a different place. And it's all, I don't, I don't think there's one utopia you know where everything's cool
1: exactly right because there's so many amazing things about australia like living here in perth the weather is amazing our beaches are like perfect um but if we want to go anywhere then you either have to drive for three days or you fly for you know hours and hours and to get to a you know europe it's like takes us 24 hours i mean you know that's quite soul destroying for someone who loves travel so you know (laughs) you
0: can't have everything anywhere yeah, that's right. It is. uh But you know what I like? What I've just thought as well, like, I was thinking with Australia, you've got Southeast Asia and Asia in general, just right there on your doorstep. That's like quite easy to go to, you know? Yeah, that's and it's true. it's like... It's like each, if you think of Australia, UK and the US, right? Each of those places has their kind of that thing on their doorstep. So with, with the UK, Europe is right there. Mm. And with the United States, you've got, you've got Central America, you've got Mexico, you've got even South America. It's a little further, but, and that's <laughs> the other thing I was just thinking right now is that each one of these places has one of those places in them where the kids go on like school break you know like (laughs) spring break so you got like where is it cancun in uh, in the states yeah yeah uh, yeah. you got spain and and europe for the uk people they like to go to magaluf and whatever and (laughs) and then you got bali for the for australia oh absolutely yeah that's true i've just thought about that
1: yeah, it's, yeah, I never really thought that either, but it's exactly right, isn't it? How funny. Yeah, no, Bali is closer to Perth than even, like, the next city, than Adelaide is. So, for Perth people, Bali is just like yeah, the weekend getaway.
0: I don't love it myself,
1: but, um, but lots of Perth people go multiple times a year.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, mm. absolutely. I mean, from all over Australia, actually, in Melbourne, mm, mm, everyone mm. was always going to Bali. It's like, hey, where are you going on holiday? Bali. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, but... Like, it's cool. I love Bali. Like, not... I've said this before on the show, but it's kind of like a place of two halves. You've got the, the bit that's built for those people that go on schoolies and whatever, you know, that go and, and kind of enjoy the the clubs and the and the discos. And you can see that I'm not into it because I refer to them as discos. Who does that? <laughs> I know. And, uh... that... I think you're showing your age. <laughs> yeah. Twenty seven. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it's got that side of it, which I mean, that's great for you know if you're 18 and you you're coming out of school and stuff like that. But then it's also got the more real side. If you go out of that and you go into the rural parts of Bali, some of it is absolutely amazing. I mean, the, the one of the places I stayed in Golog Chadic, it's it's only about 10-20 minutes uh, scoot from uh, from Kuta, but it's it's a totally different world. Totally yeah. different world.
1: Not enough people who go to Bali go and find those in more interesting pockets, but um, but they definitely exist, which is great.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like for me, with my style of travel, it's all about looking for the reality of the place and not the plastic that you're given, you know? Yes,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's so important because otherwise I always think you could just stay home or, yeah. They're the really like overrun by Aussies, sections of Bali kind of really distress me, so um, I
0: don't know. <laughs> I just I, I know just you don't mean. enjoy them. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I know exactly what you mean. But you know what is fun? What <laughs> is fun is spending an evening with them. Like it's kind of like going over to the other side for for a day. <laughs> you know, switching to the dark <laughs> yeah, side. Yes,
1: that's true. It's a kind of an adventure. That's true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's different. I mean, if you're not into that, if you're not into the disco in and the, everything like that, spending a day doing that is is something different, and that's fun. Not more than a day, though. <laughs> but uh <laughs> no <laughs> yes just a quick uh, just a quick look and that's enough for me exactly and that's that's kind of that's their style isn't it and we talk we talk a lot uh we talk to a lot of people with varying travel styles you know and like a lot of people like to hop from place to place and stuff like that but you've you've lived in how many countries now
1: well, three other countries besides Australia, yeah. So I um I actually came to the conclusion after the first one. So I lived in Japan for a couple of years and Slovakia and then Germany for a few years. And uh, um, part part way through that, I had this idea that to really understand a country, you have to live in it for two years. Uh, like the first year, everything's new and you kind of get to know it. And then the second year, you kind of start to get the hang of it and you know when the seasonal activities are coming up and you know, you start to, you know, remember, oh, that happened last year. I want to get involved in that this year and things like that. But then I came to this really, really depressing realisation that I don't have that many lots of two years (laughs) in my life. And and it's a really limited number of places to be able to live for two years at a time. So um, yeah, it's a bit depressing. And, and now I'm back in Perth for a, well a much longer stint while my uh, little boy goes to school. So it'll be a while before I can get another two years in another place. But uh, yeah, oh man, <laughs>
0: I like to spend a long time somewhere. Man, I think you bang on with that. Like after after a year, like you say, it's like it's still kind of new, and you're still a little bit of a visitor, you know. But then as soon as you you see July 25th for the second time it's like it's Mm -hmm. it's exactly like you say i remember this time last year and this is part of my life that i remember and it was here it's kind of more home than, than it used to be. It's That's a really good thing. Yeah, it's funny how it makes a difference. But um, but I remember, especially in Japan, because
1: there's so many really seasonal kind of activities and, and special things they do at certain times of year. And, you know, the first year, each time they just sort of happened out of the blue and were completely new to me. And then the second time around, I'd made lots of, you know, local friends and and they would talk about it, you know, before it came up, like before cherry blossom season started again. And we would make plans, you know, for where we would go to get the best, um, you know, the best cherry awesome experience and uh you know we were kind of prepared for all of these uh, and the you know all the different festivals and stuff and
0: yeah i felt much more like a local the second year mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of like it's like if you go and see a play it's it's being you're consuming it it's being given to you and you're watching it the first time and and it's for you but then if you go see it the second day if you go see the matinee this the following day then you're kind <laughs> of in on it you're you're in on it and the audience is seeing it for the first time but y- both you and and the people in the play have seen this before. So you're kind of one of them now. Is that a metaphor that works? works. I like metaphors. That
1: is a fabulous <laughs> metaphor that works. And because you don't know it quite as well as the people in the play, yeah. or you know, but a lot better than the people who are there for the first time. That's exactly, exactly how I felt. Yes. yes I love when a
0: metaphor lands. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I worked hard on that. <laughs> it's very good stuff. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so what do you think are the, are the main differences between living in a place? Uh, so you've been there for more than two years, and just passing through. What are the main things that are different? I mean, obviously, you you know where to go, you know what's what's happening at that time of year, and you know a lot of people. But how does it feel different to you?
1: Uh, I think it's it's almost hard to explain. And I think because of all those things you listed, uh, I don't know. It's kind of you gets into your blood. Um, a lot of it, I think, is knowing the people because that's something that's really hard to do when you're only there for a short term. Um, you know, you might meet some local people and, you know, chat to them and stuff, but it's not the same as having an ongoing friendship because um, that, you know, really tells you so much about a country. Um And I think, I don't know, it's sort of just the longer you stay somewhere, especially, you know, year, more than a year or years, you really get get into what the way people think there and you can't, you know, learn to expect how they, um, how they're going to react to certain things. As an example, I've been obsessed with this uh, Japanese reality TV show that's showing on Netflix here at the moment. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's a terribly basic premise and I think it's something like Big Brother, but I never watched any of those shows, so I don't know for sure. But these six Japanese people live in a house um, together and, you know, in theory they might start relationships and stuff. But it's so Japanese in the sense that um, they're extraordinarily polite to each other. Uh, it's an, an enormous... Um, like drama in the household if, if they hold hands or, um, something like that. And I, I try, been trying to explain to my local friends, like here in Australia, how I'm obsessed with this Japanese show and how much I'm enjoying it. And then I tell them a bit about it and they sort of make, they insinuate that it sounds a bit boring. But like, because I lived in Japan long enough, like it all makes sense to me. Like I can exactly see where these, um, you know, why, where these actions are coming from and why they react the way they do. Uh, And it's different to how I would react in the same situation, but I completely understand it. And I think there's no way you could get that without having lived in Japan for an extended amount of time. So it's those kind of like nuances that you you could hear about. You just don't get unless you're spending a long time somewhere.
0: Oh, absolutely. I love that. I love the different cultures and the different... Exactly like you're saying with the with the politeness, the different little quirks of the culture, and the different way yeah. that they're brought up. Like I remember, actually, I was in Melbourne when when this is on TV. You might know it. It was on some weird channel, some random. You know, when you get in, start getting into the '90s. You know, and, uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh, yes. yes. <laughs> and it was this show, it was like, there's an English show called Take Me Out or Take Out or something like that. And, you know, a guy mm-hmm. comes up and there's like, there's like 20 girls there. And he goes, hi, my name's Jim. And then they all go, Nat, don't like, Jim. And, you know, by the end, you know, when they found out everything about him, they go, yeah, I love Jim. And then he, he finds a date, you know, I'm sure there's an American one too, <laughs> but there was this one on Melbourne TV, but it was from China, right? <gasps> oh, I you know, know the this one. Yeah. It's like, do you think
1: you are the one or if you think you are the yes, one or something? That's
0: it. I always, it's got a really long, difficult name. I always thought yes. it should have been called Chinese Takeout, but it was, uh, <laughs> it was such a cool show and, uh, it's fabulous. It yes. really is. And mm-hmm. that also kind of highlights those differences because in the UK one, the guy comes up and he's, you know, he's got his muscles out he's like, you're right, ladies, you know, and he says all this stuff, he tries <laughs> to make himself look cool. But in the uh, in the Chinese one, the guy comes out, he's like, I, I'm starting a business, I earned this much and uh, like, I <laughs> yes. you know, I'm still, <laughs> you know, I, I'm really friendly with my mother and, and it's like... <laughs> You know, if that guy came out yes. in the English one, it'd be like, no, sorry, mate, but <laughs> but it's it's those <laughs> differences in uh, in culture and the different things that we regard as good and regard as bad, regard as rude, regard as all these things. That's that's something that, man, I, d- I don't think travel would be the same without those things. That's part of the fun, I think, finding out about these new. Oh,
1: absolutely. Differences. Yes, yes, yes. I've just looked it up. It's If You Are The One. That's it. That's Um, it. (laughs) Yes, it has a bit of a cult following here. They, they show it on, on SPS, the special broadcasting service. So, (laughs) yeah, it's, um, always entertaining. (laughs) I
0: love it. I love it. But those, uh, those times when, when you first get into a place and there's this, there's this kind of weird buffer period of you kind of, trying to understand the culture and the differences trying to trying to find out like okay what are people doing how are people acting and how can i in a way assimilate to the way that they're doing things and asking things and talking and what's rude and what's not what do you think about that was that hard in in japan for example
1: uh in japan i would say it wasn't i mean it was very hard to learn all the the correct ways to act but because of the nature of the Japanese, it, I never felt, um, like they certainly never made me feel like I'd done the wrong thing. And they were, you know, very understanding that I was a foreigner and, and all of that. But, um, I sort of found it harder in other countries, actually, because they would be more forthright with, like, if I sort of acted wrongly. Like when I moved to Germany, at first I was really, I was sort of disappointed because Germany seemed a lot like home, a lot like Australia. Uh, and it took me a little while to realize that it was just, just like that on the surface. And it was only because I'd come from, like, from Japan and then Slovakia, not, you know, not too long post-communism. So it was still quite different. Um, and the people were certainly very different to Germans. And then I landed in Germany. It sort of seemed so, you know, modern Western and just the same as Australia, just, you know, a little bit more rule-abiding. But it was actually much more complicated than that. And I sort of had a lot more difficulty kind of gauging the right way to behave there and, you know, and a lot more sort of not direct feedback that I was doing the wrong thing, but kind of I would get the feeling that, oh, this person doesn't like me or didn't like what I did or said and I don't really know why. And so I found that harder than, um, in Japan it's it's just so different and they don't really expect a foreigner to understand it immediately. And they're very tolerant of that. So, um, yeah, I. It's it's. I mean, it's always a fascinating process to start to really learn how a country ticks.
0: It is, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, it's like in Brazil. I mean, in England we say, uh, "Can I have one of these, please?" You know, it's a lot of words, right? In Brazil, yes, they just go, yes. "Give me one of those." <laughs> You know, and that, yeah. that for me was so hard. That was so difficult. Because, <laughs> like, you know, when I was learning Portuguese, I'm trying to, trying to find out how people say, can I please have one of these? And it's just like, give me that. Nobody says it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's so difficult because oh, yeah. I feel yeah. so rude.
1: <laughs> you know? Oh, no. Oh, Germany's the same. I mean, you know, they're not an impolite nation, but they don't mince words. And I mean, Australians are very much like British people. And we use a lot of words to say not very much and all these extra polite words. And uh, yeah, nobody can seem to understand why. But it's really important to us, isn't it?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, if someone, imagine if you're in England or, or Australia and someone goes, yeah, give me one of those. They'd be like, oh, excuse me. <laughs> you yeah, know? Absolutely. If my son said that, he'd be sent <laughs> yeah. to his room. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I wonder if like, I wonder if Brazilians or Germans or anyone that is in Australia or England, I wonder if they have the reverse of that. Whether they just go, ah, oh, give me one of those, and and obviously the English or Australian person's like, mm, okay, you know, I wonder if it's the <laughs> reverse, you know. <laughs> I, bet it
1: is. I suspect so. Yes, yeah, I, yeah. I think they probably suffer from that. Yes,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's also kind of it's uh, not the same but related. I want to talk about reverse culture shock. It's it's something, mm. obviously, as travelers, we know very well. And we've had people on the show explain it in a few different ways and give their own strategies to overcome it. And so first of all, for the listeners, what do we mean by reverse culture shock? And what are your thoughts on it?
1: Well, so I'd lived away from Australia for about six or seven years when I moved back to Australia. And I'd only visited like very two very short visits during that time. And so I was kind of excited about coming home but not overly thrilled. I would have probably liked to stay away longer, but for various reasons I came home. And I found it enormously hard to settle back in and to accept how different Australia was to all the places I'd lived. And so I guess that's the the, the basis of a reverse culture shock is you expect to be able to settle back into your own culture because, you know, I grew up here. I lived here for 25 years before I moved away. So that should be simple. And yet it wasn't. I found, yeah, so that was the reverse culture shock. I found it extraordinarily hard to fit back into Australian life. Um, and I think the the extra problematic aspect of reverse culture shock is because you're returning to somewhere you've lived before. Uh, in most cases, certainly in my case, I had a network of, fr- of friends and family here um, who I hadn't really seen much, you know, for six or seven years. And it wasn't, a simple matter to just slot back into those relationships. It was actually extraordinarily difficult, and for the first two or three years that I lived here, I I barely saw any of my older friends. I uh, kind of hung around with new people that I met and um and tried to f- slowly fit back into Australian society that way. I found it really, really hard going.
0: Yeah, it's it is really, really, it's a really weird one when you come back. And it's somewhere that you know, obviously, and you've had a life there before, but it just doesn't feel right. It's a really mm. strange feeling. And I, I always think it's because I think travel brings growth, it brings mental growth, yeah. it opens your mind. And, you know, I think you become, you become a person a different with, person. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You become a person with all these, these new ideas and these new thoughts. And, you know, some things are laid to rest in your head and some new things are, are flourishing. And then you come back to a place. And I think there's, there's two things you come back to a place. And firstly, you're a different person and therefore it's hard to interact with people who think that you're still the same person. You look the same Mm -hmm. or you might, you might, you know, have dreadlocks and not wear shoes anymore, but (laughs) but you look the same, but you're not the same. You're a different person in the same body, right? And uh, I think, I don't know, I think it's really strange because I think the other thing is that when you're in that place, you kind of have this feeling of how you were, but that also contradicts who you now are in your head. So the things that you would automatically, by habit, do in that place, maybe you're thinking twice about them. It's kind of hard yeah. to put into words. Yeah. Do you know what? I, do you know what I mean?
1: Oh, uh, but you're absolutely right. It's um, it's as though yes, you've there's this persona that you wear i suppose um and certainly I behave differently if I'm with Japanese people I behave differently if I'm with German people because I've grown to understand kind of the the social norms and and you know I have a somewhat a slightly different personality in those situations uh and then when I came back to Australia my you know everything that I'd thought before I had changed everything Basically, every way that I had planned to live my life, I had so many different ideas. And first of all, nobody was interested in these at all. Uh, nobody even wanted to know anything about where I'd been or what I'd done. And, um, and secondly, they expected me to be exactly the same as I used to be. Uh, and another thing that really f- made it difficult was I, we didn't, we'd missed out on sort of six or seven years of shared culture. And a lot of the things you would think you know you chat about every day are like what you saw on TV or you know a famous crime that happened the year before, and stuff like that, and my friends would sit together and chat about things, and I would sit there like I was a complete foreigner, and I had no concept of what they were talking about. We had sort of nothing in common for those six or seven years, and I would just think, "Oh, oh I've got nothing to talk about, so I'm just not going to see them again next time so yeah, mm. it's, it's very difficult i I suspect that it's a little bit easier. These days, because of social media, so you kind of stay in touch with people's kind of everyday life in a, in a more detailed way. And with things like streaming, like Netflix and streaming TV and stuff, you can still keep up with, um, like more pop culture and stuff. Whereas when I lived abroad, that didn't exist. So I think if I went now, it would be not quite as jarring to come back. Maybe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. It's, you're still kind of. I mean, everyone's connected, right? Like it doesn't matter where you yeah. are in the world, you're connected to this central thing. And if you're, if you're still grasping onto the central thing when you're away, then you're still kind of a part of it. And so that totally makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's so weird when, when you come back. Well, for me, yeah, when I came back to the UK, I had come from India, right? And I'd spent some time living in an ashram and just, you know, bathing in the Ganges and all those things, right? So imagine going from that to the uk right very Mm. very different contrast (laughs) very big contrast and so i came back and i was a completely different person obviously and i realized that that half of these people that i know they're not my people anymore Mm. Uh, it's it sounds it sounds harsh but it it wasn't me choosing to to say i don't like this guy anymore it's just that we didn't we didn't belong you know i mean i had all yeah, this absolutely. i'd lost all of my negativity and everything like that and and i had a lot of people in my life that were extremely negative and like habitually neg- negative you know and so obviously coming back from india it was just like it was just like everything <laughs> is great you must be free you must understand your mind all these things you know <laughs> so yes. and it just wasn't Enlightened. appreciated <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't appreciated and uh, but then that's the funny thing because i thought well where are my people? And I thought, they're in the world. They're out there traveling. They're out there doing mm-hmm. stuff. They're Maybe back home from traveling, but they're out there. So I thought, yeah. how do I talk to these people about travel? How do I get these travel stories that these people at home don't seem to uh-huh. care about? How do I get them out there? And here we are. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I had a similar approach, but my the way I um, found my people was I, cause I'd been teaching English when I was living abroad. And um, I realized that if I continue to teach English here, because it's a big market here um, of people coming to learn English, and I realized that that way I would both be um, working with people who were like-minded. So most of my colleagues, the other teachers, had also worked overseas or were from other countries. And of course, my students were from all over the world. So I did that for the first oh, four or five years after I moved home. And, um, and that was what kept me sane because in the staff room each day, we would be able to talk about where we'd been and where we'd lived and on all our travels. And, and people wanted to hear about it. And in class, we'd have, you know, students from South America, Asia, Europe, and we would be talking about cultural differences all day. And, and without that, I do not know. I think I would have packed up and left Australia again
0: if I hadn't found that to, to save me. Wow. That's a really good idea. That's a really good idea. I like that. And then yeah, going somewhere well teaching it- English. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was and of fabulous. course, uh, of course, you have the Thoughtful Travel podcast as well. Can you tell our listeners yes. a little bit about that?
1: Yes. Well, I do. Yes, the Thoughtful Travel podcast has been going for about a year now, and I. Um, I just love to talk about all kinds of things we learn from travel and reasons why we should travel. And so every episode I have um, two or three guests talking about a particular topic, like for example, reverse culture shock or cultural differences or uh, getting lost. People love to talk about getting lost and love to listen to it too. <laughs> um, not only things that go wrong, things that go right. So um, yeah, it's been So much fabulous fun to be able to talk to all kinds of um, travel lovers to interview them for the Thoughtful Travel podcast.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome, and all the links for that will be in the show notes as well, so people can go take a listen to that. I love it myself. There's two things that I, that, well, in fact, there's three things that I love: podcast, travel, and being thoughtful. I like it <laughs> thinking about stuff. You know, being pensive on thoughts. I love it. Perfect. Thank you. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. Also, now I love this notaballerina.com. Now, I, I know that I'm, I'm sure you get asked all the time, why is it called Not A Ballerina, <laughs> right? I, I, I do. I've, done my, I've done my research. I know. I know why. But And I love it. I love it. Could you explain to our <laughs> listeners, Not A Ballerina, what's that about?
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, I named the blog. So, the blog's 12 years old this year. So, when I named the blog, um, there weren't people around, you know, suggesting that you should give it like a name that, you know, tells it like it is. So, I just creatively thought of something I wanted to call it. And it's just from a story when I was um, a little kid, three or four years old, and I was dancing around in my grandmother's living room as little kids do. And uh, she said, oh, Amanda, look, you could be a ballerina when you grow up. And apparently she told, she told me the story. I don't remember. Um, she, I turned to her, you know, a little bit angrily and said, I'm not going to be a ballerina. I'm going to be a writer. And so when I started writing my travel blog, I thought of her and I thought of not a ballerina
0: man i love that that's so good <laughs>
1: i have to confess i had a, a like four or five years ago i nearly changed it because google wasn't so clever and i used to get search traffic all related to ballerinas and of people course, would yeah. land on my site and think oh this is nothing about ballerinas and, and uh, back straight out and disappointed yeah. but um, google is much cleverer these days and i don't get any ballerina traffic so it's all good <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, surely, like, if you're clicking on something not a ballerina and you're expecting ballerinas, come on, you know. Very true, very true. Partially their fault, really. (laughs) That's true. They should have been, yes. They should have been clicking more carefully. Very true. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Well, this has been so much fun, so much fun. Is there anything that you would like to leave our listeners with? Any pearls of wisdom? Any advice? Anything like that?
1: Oh, um, I just say what I always say is that whatever excuses you are making, get over the excuses and get out there and go traveling because life's too short not to. And um, I always think that the more people travel, the more we can deal with all of these like cultural differences and interesting things we've been talking about. And I just have this uh, pie in the sky idea that if we all travel, we'll just completely save the world and have world peace. So that's a good enough reason to go and travel.
0: I love it. I love it. You've only got so many two-year spans in your life. So. <laughs> that too. <laughs> <laughs> got to get it done. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Well, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you and listen to the show and visit the blog and everything like that? Yeah, thank you. Um, so if you
1: just search for The Thoughtful Travel Podcast in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, you will find me there. And, uh, of course, at com. And I love to hang out on Twitter. So if you look for me at Amanda Kendall on Twitter, I'm also always there.
0: Awesome. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great. No worries. Great. Thanks, Hen.
1: It was great to chat.
0: Stay inspired by subscribing to Travel Stories podcast.